0: Hallelujah. Did you bring your Bibles? All right. Let's look at this. Let's make our declaration this morning. This is my Bible. I live by its truth. I walk in its light. I rest in its promises. I'm empowered by its love. And I overcome by the faith produced from receiving this seed sown into my heart. Father, we thank you in these next few moments you'll do something that is transformational in our life. Your Word will be planted in us. It will lead us, teach us, and guide us to walk in your truth for our life. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do in our lives today. In Jesus' name, somebody said? Amen. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, if you have your Bibles, go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, I was going to announce this too, but let me uh, give this to you as well. uh... uh our churches have been coming together in our county, and they've started, we've had two of them so far, of a, the first Friday of the month worship services. And so different churches throughout the community are hosting those, and uh, our worship teams are coming together, congregations are coming together. How many know it's good that we dwell together in unity? And uh, there's just a, there's a phrase that's been turned over my heart, we are better together than we are alone. Amen. God made us to be together. He didn't create us. Man wasn't created to be alone. Everything about our lives is better when we're together. So July 7th, I'll have the information for you next week. We'll have it up in in the email that goes out this week uh, where the one is on July 7th. And uh, then there's another one on August 4th. We're going to be hosting here at our church. So it's the first Friday. And then on September 7th, it's going to be at Hills Church down in Cameron Park. So uh, they've had one at the Shingle Springs Foursquare. And so Ronell heads that up and she gets uh, members from the different worship teams to come together. So it's all a collaboration. And so Kyle and our team will be connecting with them. So we're excited to be able to host that. Amen? And so that's coming up in August. So we're six, eight weeks out on that. So good time. Amen? But also we don't just want to come to the one that's at our house. Amen. We want to go. So on July 7th, there's one. So a week from this coming Friday. And then uh, also on uh, September 1st. And so they're just trying to do them every, the first Friday of every month. Good stuff. Hallelujah. 2 Timothy and chapter 3 and beginning verse 14. But as for you, continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. And here's my phrase. That the man of God, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This morning, it might take me two weeks to get through this, but I want to talk to you about being, how to be a man of God. And it doesn't just apply to men, it applies to both men and women, but we're in a day when we truly need men of God. We are living in a culture that is demasculating our society, taking masculinity out of our society, stripping manhood of its virtue and that, and we need men of God today. Can you say amen? Amen. And so really what you're getting, you're getting my Father's Day message today. Amen. And so we we, we just need, we need fathers and homes. I'm going to give you some statistics that show you how important that is. But we need men of God. I believe this. I believe every woman wants a man of God in their life. Trying to help you out, ladies. And uh, and every man wants a woman of God in his life. We we want people who live by God's standard for their life and are solid in their walk with God. And uh, so in that, um, this last week I did a lot of research and looking things up. And that, let me make I get this up and have it ready to go. There we go. Hallelujah. So look at your outline with me. How to be a man of God. I have to know who I am before I can be who I'm supposed to be. Everybody look up here just for a moment. You have your own identity. When I pray over these young people, I want them to find their identity. I don't want the world and culture or peers or anybody else setting their identity for their lives. They need to know uniquely who they are. You need to be affirmed and assured uniquely in who you are and your individuality. Because God created you individually with uniqueness and purpose that only you can fulfill. Amen. So I need to walk in that. See, people have always been more willing to try to emulate someone else rather than to be the person they were created to be. Most of the time, fashions and fads shape our world. Marketing sets the image of what we should look like if we were cool. I was cool, I dress like this. I, I, I teach young people all the time, man. I, I'm glad you survived the attack of the Chihuahuas, because they just ate the front of your pants off. I mean, it's cool, but whatever, but, but that's a fad that's come along, so watch. All of a sudden, somebody starts selling, I'm just using that as an example. I don't care whatever, whatever the style is, but usually we allow that to shape, and we want to be cool, we want to look like we fit in, and, and don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but in all that stuff, I, I want to go and be comfortable in myself, amen? Find yourself and go with your flow, but watch this. Yet God has created each one of us with our own divine uniqueness. True happiness is only found in being ourselves. You can't be happy being somebody else. Could you say amen? amen? So what is this? Understand this. God has always majored in men. And that's totally a counterculture declaration. You live in the age of equality. If I could just say it like this. There's no such thing as true equality. We weren't created to be equal. We were created to be complementary. And when you take away the complementary aspect and try to make it equality, you, you, you create dysfunction. Would you agree? So think about it. And there's always a call for fathers. What's lacking in our culture today and what they're saying today, even going all the way back. I, I read a quote by uh, President Barack Obama and, and he just said, hey, It it takes more to be a father than just having a child. Anybody, any any man can give birth to a child and and, and impregnate a young lady. But essentially what he's saying, it takes somebody to be there to take on the responsibility of what you created. But we need fathers, so we'll get here in just a moment. That's probably a bad paraphrase of what he said, but that's all right anyway. (laughs) So think about it. God needs men for His purpose to be fulfilled in the earth. Your family needs you so it can be all that God ordained it to be. Your church and community needs you so they can be strong and secure. That's us, men. That's why our family, our church, and our community and God need us. God created men on purpose and for purpose. As men, we live our best lives when we are living to and for His purpose in our lives. Your best life is living for His purpose in your life. And that applies whether you're a man or a woman, but I'm speaking specifically to men this morning. Men are not better than women, they're just different. And that, think about all the different things. When you try to get equality, pe- people are trying to be better or equal to. We're, we're not in this thing to be better or to be equal to, we're in here to add to one another. To complement, to strengthen, to benefit, to complete one another. So men are not better than women, they are different, and their role as men has a significant impact upon the health and spiritual well-being of a family. When you take the man out of the home, the family suffers. The church and the community suffer, which is why the enemy of humanity has always worked to strip men of their masculinity. Manhood is not toxic, it is God-given. Amen. Amen. It's not toxic. We don't, we don't have toxic masculinity. We need men, real men. Amen? Mark Gunger said it. We don't need the wussification of America is what's taking place. If, and w- really, if you watch it right now, and, and you've heard me say it before, I get irritated when all of the commercials and the marketing you know, just make men sound stupid. We might be slow, ladies, but we're not stupid. We just operate on a different wavelength. We see things differently. We see things you don't see. You see things we don't see. Amen. And so we need one another. We need what we bring together. The church and the community need suffer as well, which is why the enemy tears that down. Every home needs a godly father or a real man of God. Not the emasculated version of modern culture. True godly manhood is not toxic, nor is it effeminate, and it is vital to the health and well-being of every family and society. The family unit is a father and mother with their combined giftings to properly nurture, protect, and provide for their children together. God designed us to complement, as I said, and complete one another. When God made man, Adam's there in the garden and God just says, hey, it's not good for man to be alone. So I will make for him a help me, someone who will come alongside, someone who will be completion. The way God made woman out of man is that he took something out of man. There's things in us, see, why don't you think like that? Why don't you act like that? Because God took that out of us and he put it in you. So that when we were rejoined with you, we would be complete. And so you don't have to get frustrated that we don't see that thing that you see. And we don't have to be frustrated because we don't see that thing. Actually, we're thankful. Because we are not wired like you. We can just, I like what Mark Gunger said, we're blessed. We have a nothing box. That's when you look at us and you ask us what we're thinking about. And we say, and you say, how can you think about nothing? It's easy. You just go. What's happening right now? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Amen. But don't you have things to do? Don't, don't you need to be thinking about that? No. And so And That's why God made you and gave you to us so we would know how to be organized. Or whatever, however that works. Amen? I'm being silly, but you know what I mean. But God says it's not good for man to be alone. So when he made woman, he made us in the way that when we come together, our uniqueness would once again make us complete. You see, when fathers are taken out of the home and when fatherhood is devalued, there's a void that is created which cannot be replaced. I'm going to say something right now. The passage of Scripture, we've all heard the Scripture, train up a child in the way he should go. So that when he is old, he will not depart from it. Why are they educating our children on sexual diversity? Because scripture works the same for lies as it does for truth. So what are they wanting to do? They're wanting to train our children up in sexual diversity. What does sexual diversity do? It changes the role of father and a mother. It tells children that 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 Sally can have two mommies or Billy can have two daddies and it's the same as having a mother and a father. No, it's not. No, it's not. You you can't create something in replace of something else and call it the same. Okay? A counterfeit is not the original. Are you doing all right? But that's what's happening in our culture today, and why do we need more and more? Think about this. Less than 1% of our population is driving the narrative in our nation today. Less than 1% when it comes to transgender and and, and dealing with those things. Less than 1% is driving the whole narrative of everything and acceptance and tolerance and everything else. So when fathers are taken out of the home and when fatherhood is devalued, there is a void that is created which cannot be replaced. There is not something else that works just as good as a father. There is nothing else that works as good as God's original intent. Nothing works as good as a father. God did not create a substitute for fathers and we cannot either. So let me just give you a few things this morning and and just some research that's out there of the effects of fatherlessness upon children. Only 35% of men, and, and I heard this from another pastor, but he said through their research that only 35% of men that believe in God go to church. And part of that is on the church because even with the church, we, we we have demasculined the church. Amen. And so we, we, church has to get back to a place where men feel comfortable in church and everything just isn't... A, Anyway, you know what I mean. If the woman goes to church in the family, 17% of the family will go to church. If the man goes to church and leads the way spiritually, over 90% of the family will follow his leadership. So why is the man important? That's just one. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes according to the U.S. Health Department, which is five times higher than the national average. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes, which is 32 times higher than the national average. 85% of all children who show behavioral disorders come from a fatherless home, 20 times higher than the national average, according to the CDC. 80% of rapists with anger problems come from fatherless homes, 14 times higher than the national average. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes, nine times higher than the national average. So when it comes to education, the father factor in education is this, children with fathers who are involved are 40% less likely to repeat a grade. Children with fathers who are involved are 70% less likely to drop out of school. Children with fathers who are involved are more likely to get A's in school. Children with fathers who are involved are more likely to enjoy school and engage in extracurricular activities. And 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes. Ten times the national average. What about the father factor when it comes to drug abuse and alcohol? Researchers at Columbia University found that children living in two-parent households with a poor relationship with their father are 68% more likely to smoke, drink, or use drugs compared to all teens in two-parent households. Teens in a single-mother household are are at a 30% higher risk than those in two-parent households. 70% of use in state-operated institutions come from fatherless homes, nine times higher. 85% 85% of all the youths in prison come from fatherless homes. 20 times the average. You hear that? 85% of young people in correctional institutions come from fatherless homes. Think about this. Daughters of single parents without a father are involved 50, are, are 53% more likely to marry as teenagers. 711% more likely to have children as teenagers, 164% more likely to have a premarital birth, and 90%, 92% more likely to get divorced themselves. Adolescent girls raised in a two-parent home with involved fathers are significantly less likely to be sexually active than girls raised without involved fathers. 43% of children live without their father. of homeless and runaway children again are from a homeless or fatherless home. 71% of teenage pregnancies, uh, pregnant teenagers lack a father. 75% of adolescents, again, repeat that one. Fatherless boys and girls are twice as likely to drop out of high school, twice as likely to end up in jail, and four times more likely to need help for emotional behavior problems. Let me give it just a couple more. Compared to children born within a marriage, children born to cohabitating parents are three times as likely to experience father absent, and children born to unmarried, non-cohabitating parents are four times as likely to live in a father absent home. About 40% of children in father absent homes have not seen their father at all during the past year. Twenty-six percent of absent fathers live in a different state than their children and 50 percent of children living absent their father have never set foot in their father's home. Wow. Children who live absent of their biological fathers are on average at least two or three times more likely to be poor, use drugs, experience educational health and emotional and behavior problems, to be victims of child abuse and to engage in criminal behavior. Than their peers who live with married and biological or adoptive parents. So, how significant is a father? According to that, there's nothing that can replace him. Can you say amen? Nothing replaces a father. And, 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 and even in the area. So there, there's something that has to happen, though. See, many times, because we experience hardship or... Pro- I don't know about you, maybe you're like me. Maybe you came from a broken home. Maybe your parents, like me, divorced when you were two. That's when my parents divorced. And so what happens is that many times, then you have to decide how you're going to process that. Are you going to let God heal you? Are you going to let God restore you? Are you going to break the cycle that maybe has been in your family? Maybe you come from a family of generational divorce and all that stuff. How many know you can break that cycle when you're born again and you become a new creature in Christ Jesus? Amen. But it doesn't mean that just because we're being godly fathers and we're there. But let me just interject it there. Why is there such a move on our society to take the masculinity away from men, to take fathers out of the home, to declare that replacements are just as good as the original? All of that is because of this. When the father is gone or removed outside, agents, outside agents come in. To redefine and reshape the structure of the family and crumble the foundation that homes and lives are built upon. What's happening in America, in America today is we're crumbling the foundation of our homes and the family. Amen? So somewhere, somebody has to stand up. So when it comes to being men of God, men, it's our responsibility to take the lead. God called men to lead. And every man is called to be a leader in your own home. Jesus majored in men. Amen. God has always majored in men. Because when men are strong, women are strong. The hardest thing for a woman to do is have to fulfill a role that she is not built to fulfill. Are you doing alright? She can't fulfill both places. Guys, you freak out if mom go, if your wife goes to the and leaves you with the baby that needs to be changed or fed, or cared for, how how long are you going to be gone? Amen? So if you're uncomfortable with with a poopy diaper, how do you think she feels when she has to fulfill your role? I'm preaching really good this morning. Hope it helps you before I'm done. Amen? So now watch this. Let's walk through this. Let's just talk about mean men of God. So what does it mean to be a man of God? How do you become a man of God? Amen. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Is this okay this morning? Doesn't matter, you're not going to get anything else. <laughs> Hallelujah. Second Corinthians chapter 3. Hallelujah. Second Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. Amen. For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that exceeds. For what is passing away was glorious, which remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness to speak. Unlike Moses who put on a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing. But their minds were hardened for until the day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day when Moses is read, the veil lies on the heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, as by the Spirit of God. Or in other words, men of God are constantly being changed. God's will is for your life is that men, that we are constantly growing and we're constantly open to change. We are not looking for how close we can stay to hell and still go to heaven. There's a philosophy in the church that has crept in. And people, you know, I'm just saved enough. We're not called just to be saved enough. We're not called to just say, say you know what, I- I'm, like, I'm like two miles outside of hell, I'm cool. No, we're called to keep pressing and allowing this transformation to take place in our lives. But we're living to see how far we can leave hell behind. Moses went up, to the mountain to be with God. Aaron stayed in the valley with the people. What happened when Aaron stayed in the valley? If you know your Bible, Moses is up communing with God. Aaron stayed in the valley and the people came began to murmur and say, hey Moses brought it out here. We didn't have enough to eat. We didn't have to do that. Besides that he wants to do that. Here's all of our jewelry. Make us a golden calf again and we'll worship a God and then we'll go back to Egypt. And Aaron got sucked in to the desires of the people. And so as men, that means you can't, as a man of God, if you want to be a man of God, you can't always live in the valley with the people. You have to have times where you're hungry for the presence of God and you want to sin to where He is. For men of God, we have to follow the pattern of Enoch. Enoch, as his day, chose to be a man who stood out. What did he do? He walked with God until he was no more. He walked with God and God came and received him. Actually, Enoch gives us our first rapture in the Bible. Life is not life until I'm released from the old. Man, I'm not living until you're released from the old. I'm not just getting saved and then living in my old lifestyle and then coming to church on Sunday and acknowledging God. We're released from the old. See, many times men are raised but not released. And too many times people live bound by the grave clothes of the old man. How remember when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He said, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus... What's up? (laughs) Amen. And he hops out, and Jesus says, release him. Remove the grave clothes. But see, we don't want to just be happy getting to the front of the tomb and like, I'm cool. No, you're still bound with the grave clothes of death. You're bound in the old. We want to break through, get rid of the old grave clothes, the old life. We want to live a brand new life. Can you say amen? amen? Too many men stand bound at the door of liberty. But God wants us raised, released, and renewed with a new perspective. That's what Romans 12, Ephesians 4, Colossians 3 are all about. Put off the old man. Put on the new man. Renew your mind. Amen? Get this. Renew means to change your mind, your conduct, and your lifestyle. Men, we have to have a lifestyle that reflects who we say we are. Amen. Think about it. Most only change and renew when they hurt enough, they have to. Amen. Or they learn enough, they want to. That's a better option. I'd rather learn enough to want to change than hurt enough to have to change. Or receive enough, they're forced to change. That's good. I don't receive enough, I have to do something. Amen. Or they can no longer afford to stay the same. Amen. That means you've lost enough that you can't stay there. See, true change comes from seeking the face of the Lord. That's what we read there in 2 Corinthians. Seeking the face of God, pressing into His presence, desiring to be in His presence. We we cannot seek Him and behold Him without being changed by Him. Men, look up here. You can never press into the presence of God and stay the same. I can't press into his presence and stay the same. Something changes every time. Every time I get into his presence, every time I press into him, he begins working on me for my good. He begins working on me to help me be better at who he created me to be. Could you say amen? So we can't stay the same. In that area, but what's it. Seeking takes time. Even years, even years. I must desire more than just a casual glance of Him. I was in a pastor's meeting this Wednesday of this week. The pastor Dick Brunelli did this thing, and there's a pastor uh, uh, I, can't, name, uh, Marcus, I can't remember his name, Marcus. Trying to remember his name. We pastor of Seven Hills Church back east and uh, back in the Midwest. But but as we were having the conversation, they were asking him some questions. And he says, uh, well, I have this message that I preach called King in a Week. King in a Week. And, uh, or actually, King in a Day. And it's based around the life of Saul. And how many know that didn't turn out well? Because Saul went from being on donkey patrol, looking for his dad's donkeys, to the next day, be an anointed king. But how many no donkey patrol to king are two different jobs. And you don't learn how to be a king on donkey patrol. And if you're on donkey patrol, you might, might be because you don't have the giftings to be. But see, in our culture today, that's what we want. We want instant promotion without character development. And if God isn't working instantly in my life, then I want to move on to something else that will. And usually instant gratification doesn't bring satisfaction. It has a time period to it. So I must desire more than just a casual glance of Him. God will always reveal Himself to those who are willing to make the climb and to expose themselves to Him. Let me know Moses had to go up the mountain. Let me know John the Baptist spent years in the wilderness with God. Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days, over and over. Paul said, I went to the backside of the desert for three years. After Paul got saved, had the Damascus Road encounter with God, he still went to the backside of the desert and spent that time alone with God and in the presence of God and let God do a renewal in his life before he came back on the scene. Amen? And so to be developed into who God's created to be as men and as women of God, it is so important that we invest the time. God will always reveal himself to those who are willing to make the climb to expose himself to him. What happens there? This is the place of no excuse, no escape, and only change. Amen. But what if we could trust the one who made us to really make us who he created us to be? To really make me a man of God. Every time I speak in a men's conference to amend me. And, and our guys have heard me say it. And even in our Bible study. Before I'm done. I want to be a man of God. Before my life is done. I want to be a man of God. And Paul said it like this. Paul the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 says. I do not count myself to have a right." Hear me, if you have an arrival mentality, you're dead. Because it means you're not growing. You've stopped. There's no future. I've arrived. So you're you're fully complete. You're developed. You need nothing more added to you. Once I feel that I've arrived in my Christianity and I no longer have a teachable spirit, the Apostle Paul, listen to what he said. He says in 2 Corinthians 12, He says, I know a man, whether in the flesh or not in the flesh, who was caught up into the third heaven and who saw things. And, and I was told, You can't even talk about what you've seen, who saw dreams and revelations and visions of the glory of God and the fullness of God. He said, I can't talk about this. I can't deal with this. I, I see things I can't do. But I don't count myself to have arrived. What I'm doing is I'm still pressing forward for the prize and the high call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul said, no matter what I've received from God, I'm still pressing forward. And then he goes on to say this. He said, follow me and as, let as many as us as are perfect keep pressing in. Amen? And perfect means just mature. So maturity, if I'm mature in my Christian life, I want to keep pressing. I want to keep growing. I don't want to be satisfied. I want to be the man of God that God created and ordained me to be. Can you say amen this morning? Secondly, watch this, men of God are men who have made Jesus the absolute Lord of their lives. Lordship, not a popular topic. That's why most people don't preach on it. Because do you know what lordship requires? Obedience and submission. Amen. In fact, I was thinking about driving the other day and I just was thinking about ministry and doing ministry and stuff. And even people say, well... You know, how can you guys receive offerings? Why does the church do this? And uh, I was talking to a pastor this week. And I said, you know, what are the three key elements of ministry? Let me ask you. For, for any ministry to happen, what three elements have to be there? What, what are the three key elements for ministry to take place? Anybody want to take a stab? Huh? Finances and what? Spirit-filled. Spirit-filled? okay. Spirit-filled finances. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Huh? Knowing God, hearing His voice, being in agreement—okay, yeah, Damien. Vision, people, finances—that's close. really close. Okay, it, it takes really in essence—you can have the vision, you can hear the voice, you can do all that, but somewhere it, it always takes people, time, and resource. We got it all in three. Different, but but th- just a simple, if you, when Habakkuk said, "Write the vision and make it plain, so that they that read it can run with it." So man, you can have a vision, but if there's no people to run with it, is it going to come to pass? In order for people to run with it, well, they have to invest. Their time and just people and time, all ministry takes resources. Amen? Anything, it takes resources to minister to do that. And so for, for us to keep growing and keep growing, maturity says, lordship says, that's what it says. Lord, I'm your man. I'll give you my time. And I'll use my resources for your glory. That's lordship. Coming under lordship is being willing to let God use you and all of you for his glory. See, men of God have allowed the grave clothing of self-authority to be stripped from their lives. Paul says this, I'm crucified with Christ, yet nevertheless I live. So to be crucified, him is to die. If I die, I have the grave clothes of my old self-authority. Before you come to Christ, you're the God of your own life. You're the sovereign over your life. Before you come to Christ, each and every one of them. But once I give my life to him, he becomes sovereign and I become servant. Are you doing all right? But what's really hard is to give up all of our sovereignty to God. Amen. And just like Eli was saying, especially when it comes to finance, and believe that God will work through us, he'll bless us and do all this stuff. I'm thankful. You know, Pastor Sue handles all of our finances, because I'm not good at that. Some of the men said. And then on the other side, some women aren't good with money. And the man's probably the better administrator. So in the see, look at, oh man, there's so much we could <laughs> um, in, in in But find it, look at, finding each other's gifting and releasing them to do their gift. Amen. Because for too long, there are men who thought I'm the head of my house and I rule everything. Well, Bubba, you're not good at everything. You need some help in some areas. That's why God gave you a help need. Somebody to come alongside and complete you. So learning how to release that. So we release that all to her. So as we're going through this situation this week and all this, and and I've been talking about for several years about upgrading our trailer, and then as I get down and and I have my, you've heard me talk about, I have my she money over here. Some of you men know what I'm talking about. My she money over here, that's money that she doesn't know I have it. She ain't getting none of it. Amen? Which isn't true, but makes me feel better if I think I have that. But in that, so but, but I have money that I've been saving from other things that I do. And, and you guys bless me with a birthday offering. I speak somewhere. That all goes into a separate savings account. But she gets my paycheck. I don't get paid. Janet just gives my check to her. I, I think I work. But she gets paid, which is good, and so she handles all the finances, take care of that, she budgets, she saves for everything, we're doing all this stuff. So as we're getting ready to replace our trailer this week through all that stuff that would happen, I, the way I dealt with my wheel bearing thing, as I said, I bought four new tra- tires with something on top of it. So we started looking for a used trailer and finding one in that, but find it, then we come down to negotiating the price. I say, well, I, I, so I got this much she money over here that I could bring over here and put in here and stuff so we could add this stuff together and so I said you have all the books how much do you have she goes well we could do this we have this this I go, wow that's awesome and so we we're able so because of that but look at we are tithers we are givers and even by giving over all these years and if you properly handle your finances over time, you're able to save, and you save for specific things. Amen? And so as a result, so then we're able to go and actually pay cash to upgrade our trailer. Are you listening to me? And so it's so important to understand, but trusting God, whether it's with your finance or whatever, you think, well, if I honor God with tithing and giving, then I'll never have savings. I won't have that. No, God said he will bless you blessing is upon comes in obedience of giving and giving your time people say i don't have time to serve god people who don't have time to serve god don't have time to do life because you're being pulled in so many directions for time you're not budgeting your time and you're not honoring god in your time with your life people say well how do you stay so young because i give god my life so he makes sure i stay young amen if this if this if this is his life are you listening to me listen to me men. If my life is his life, how I many you know God takes care of his stuff? Amen. When we were looking for our trailer, we're driving all around, and, and, and I looked at almost every used trailer in Sacramento this week. And I, this is what I came across people don't take care of their stuff, they, tra- they were trash. And then these places they're selling them said, You're asking a lot of money for trash. Amen. And so the Lord led us to a perfect place. We got a great deal on, on, on a 2019 trade and all that stuff. But out of all that we looked at, it was amazing the percentage of those that were taken care of. I'm just saying that if you value something, you take care of it. But look, how many know God takes care of everything that He owns? I hope I'm helping you this morning. If God owns my life, whose responsibility is it? If I give my life to Him, He makes sure that I stay strong, I stay healthy, because He needs me to work at accomplishing His purpose. And so He keeps you in condition to fulfill His purpose through your life. Are you getting this this morning? Amen. So Lordship, the Lord, I believe this, the Lordship of Jesus Christ is being reasserted into the body of Christ, and it, has the, and it is the greatest challenge that the church will face. Submitting to the lordship of Christ. The two greatest commandments hinge on lordship and obedience. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. What does that leave out? Nothing. And love your neighbor as yourself. How many know that's hard to live under that? But William Booth said this. He says, God had all of me that there was to have. He had all of me that there was to have. See, it works in your life with God. Men, this is the same way. All you men, look up here. If you're married and your wife doesn't have all of you, if you haven't completely given yourself to your spouse, your marriage will have trouble. Because the part you hold back for yourself will always be a conflict. It will always create a conflict in your relationship. The only way you can have fullness of life is to sow all of yourself into that relationship and believe that what you receive in resurrection is better than what you're trying to hold on to. Amen. Same thing for the woman. Whatever you're not sowing, whatever you're holding back, those hold back areas always create a problem, whether it's in marriage or whether it's in your relationship with God. What you don't completely sow of your life, what you hold on to of your old life in God is what always rises up and creates your hiccup in your walk with Him. Amen. So William Booth said he had all of me. Robert McShane said this. He says, there's nothing that you will possibly need but that you will find in him. Come on, he has everything I need. Amen? Amen. He has everything I need. George Mueller Mueller said this. The stops of a good man are ordered by the Lord as well as his steps. Let me just go back and say this. See, I've learned to wait for agreement with my wife. And I'm just using our personal life as an illustration because we all have personal life issues. So I'd rather, it's safer if I talk about mine than yours. (laughs) How do you know that? Um, Anyway, so in dealing with this, so I've learned to wait and be content. So for several years, I've been saying, honey, we should think about upgrading our trailer." Our grandkids are getting bigger, we need to take the little ones along, all this stuff. And so, nope. I said, okay, I'm a patient man. And this is the way I see this last weekend. She's probably watching, we'll have a conversation, hi honey, I love you. I'll talk when we get home. Amen. But as, as I'm watching this, the whole, this whole week, the way everything transpired from that day, hanging out together, I mean everything. So we end up, we're on the side of the road, all these things happen. And then when we take our trailer to get in, the guys say, this may take four to six weeks for the repair to take place, for the, the hub and everything, and the wheel and the spindle, the axle, all this stuff. Oh, man, we got a camping trip coming up, doing this stuff. And so I go home and say, honey, this is what they say. This might be the perfect time for us to think about upgrading and doing that stuff. We wait, so we just started looking and doing that. And so all the other run around I had to do. And then God just kept leading us, directing us all the way until, and actually found a perfect trailer for us. It just was awesome. So all the other time, when you try to make it, when you wait for the timing of God, when you're willing to take the stop instead of forcing or pushing the issue that create frictions in your life, you just wait. So we had the peace of God through this whole week. God let us in. We had favor every step of the way with things we were doing, even to the place we found it. And and, and the the hide-a-bed sofa thing in there, so Gigi goes with us, and so for Grandma to be there and stuff, so to have that there, it was kind of messed up and that, so we wanted to replace that, so we go to Camping World. The only one that fits there and works for what we want and need to do, they have one left. So we were able to pick that up, the last one that they had there, all the other ones wouldn't fit, had a bunch of them, but the one that would only fit for us where it was, they had one left, we're able to get that, we got a discount, I mean, just God's good. So what I'm saying, when you wait for things, in other words, if you take what George Mueller is, man, it's called delayed gratification. Men have a hard time waiting for delayed gratification. Amen. So, the worship team will come back. Let me give you these last couple points here. And that's this. If I'm a man of God, then I know God. Men of God know God. Are you doing all right this morning? Men of God know God. You have to be able to say, I know the God I serve. I know the God I serve. I know the God I serve. 1 Timothy 1:2, Paul declares, know who you work for. Secondly, know for yourself. Don't know because your pastor tells you, somebody else tells you, know for yourself. As a man, you need to be acquainted with God, you personally. You need to know Him personally, be acquainted with Him. And then know That he knows you. Know that God knows you and who you are. So what what does that create? It brings me to a place where I move out of mechanics. We are not trained or built just to go through motions in our relationship with God. As men of God, we're not just after mechanics. Move into the dynamics of ministry or serving God. Move into the dynamics of revelation knowledge of who Jesus is and the power he brings to our lives. Amen. Next week we'll finish the last three. Stand with me if you would. Steve Hage in that meeting this week made this statement and I just agree, with but I wrote it down the way he said it and added a little bit to it. And he said this, When you say yes to God and give yourself to Him with no other option but to live for Him and serve Him for the rest of your life, you lay the foundation of a life of faith that will not be shaken by the adversities that arise before you. And you begin the journey to becoming a man of God. But to be a man of God, it means to say yes to God with no reservation. The God I'm all in. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to acknowledge you. I'm willing to climb up in that mountain and press into your presence, God. I'm willing to do what it takes to separate. I want the grave clothed. Of my old self-authority stripped off my life in that area i just want to be a man of god i want to be the man that you need listen to me today church god needs men in this day in this hour god needs men of god men of courage men of character standing now this is the greatest day For God raising up men. If we are living in the last days, then the last days calls for great courage, great righteousness in men of God, and great fortitude in the Spirit to be able to stand in a time of great opposition. Amen. So this one, I wonder if there's any men in the house that just want to say completely yes to God. I mean, you're not stuck, you're not in a place where you have arrived, but you say, God, today, I'm going to declare that I'm going to press forward from where I am. You're going to say, thank you for everything I've had. I'm grateful for all that you've done in my life. I'm grateful for where you bought, brought me to, but as of yet, I have not arrived, and I'm hungry to see what you have for me. I want to press forward into that high call. Maybe you're here as a father. I had to press through. I, 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 we tell our grandkids all the time, we, Sue and I didn't have grandparents that invested in our life that showed. Up at our activity that took his place, that that did vacations with it. But we purpose that that's the kind of grandparents we're going to be. We didn't have parents that were invested in our life. Unfortunately, our children grew up in in, in a complete home. And that uh, Sean, unfortunately, you heard me. I've had to apologize for him for that brokenness in our life. But God's given us forgiveness and restoration. Amen. And so in those areas, but you have to determine what are you going to be. I can't look back and blame it on my path. I can't blame it on the brokenness or the dysfunctionality of my path. I have to determine, hey, I'm a man of God. And I determine, and God has set my core, and God has given me my identity. My identity isn't shaped by the failure of my father, my grandfather's other generation. My identity is who I am in Christ. Amen and that's where I'm gonna live. So if you're here today and you're a man and you wanna say, God, I'm thankful for where you brought me to, but I'm gonna keep pressing for that high call. I want you to come join me right up here. We're gonna pray.